This is Arabella von Friesen at John Sandow's bookshop in Chelsea, London. As we begin this episode, I'd first like to thank our two speakers, Miguel Flores Viana and Sofka Zinoviev, for agreeing to do this podcast, which, as will soon become clear, they have both evidently enjoyed. They've both been good friends of the shop for many years now, and some of you will know Miguel already as a world-class photographer who specialises in interiors and architecture. His work appears in every good glossy that you can think of, from Architectural Digest on. His photographs have illustrated magnificent books on, for instance, the textiles of Natalie Farman Farmer, the houses of Rose Tarlow, and he's also done two gorgeous books of his own. Haute Bohemians, in 2017, was a runaway success. It looked at some of the most beautiful and imaginative houses and gardens around the world, including El Fouque in Tangier, the house of the late and ever-missed Christopher Gibbs. Another book, Wandering Eye, was published in 2019. His new book, Haute Bohemian's Greece, is published today, and in this he brings the same sensitive eye to a country that he particularly loves. With this in mind, who better to interview Miguel than the, that wonderful writer and Phil Hellion, Sofka Zinoviev, whose first book, Eurydice Street, describes settling in Athens with her Greek husband. She's also written about her Russian heritage in an extraordinary biography called Red Princess, about her turbulent communist grandmother, a Dolgoruki princess. And she's also written about her grandfather, Robert Heber Percy, in her best-selling memoir, Mad Boy, Lord Berners, My Grandmother and Me. More recently, her novel Putney was published to great critical acclaim and she was kind enough to contribute a short story for our Cuckoo Press publication in 2018. We're much looking forward to whatever she does next and hope that we won't have too long to wait. She now lives between London and Athens where she's recently done a fascinating series of podcasts with Athenians from different walks of life, which we can highly recommend. And now I leave it to her to introduce Miguel and his marvellous, beautiful new book. I'm here today to talk to Miguel Flores Viana about his new book, Haute Bohemians, Greece. And Miguel, I think I can speak for you too to say how delighted we both are to be doing this for our favourite bookshop, John Sandoz. Absolutely, yeah, the best bookshop in the world. Yeah. I am Sofka Zinoviev, and Miguel, I'm starting by giving a tiny introduction about you in case people don't know. So, Miguel Flores Viana, you were born in Argentina, but you've spent most of your life elsewhere and are currently based in London. And for decades, Miguel has been at the heart of the world of interior design. He's an amazing photographer of architecture and interiors who often collaborates with the magazines Cabana and Architectural Digest. And he has produced some gorgeous books, 
including the best-selling Haute Bohemians, the original one, which has photographs of interiors from all around the world. So like this original, Haute Bohemians Greece is a really luscious book. It's an object of desire, I'd say, with exquisite photographs of a very wide range of houses in Greece. So Miguel, it seems to me what you do is remarkable because it's not just about beauty, it's the way that you enter a house and engage with it a bit as if you're entering a psyche and revealing <laughs> its secret. And I wonder, is that how you think about the process? Well, I think um, when a photographer is allowed into a house, it's allowed into a world. And that is what I try to sort of convey, that I'm not entering four walls and a roof. I'm entering the realm that belongs to a person or used to belong to a person. And it is that person that makes the realm interesting to me. So that is what I try to convey. I try to see and seek elements that um, tell me about the personality of the person who lives there or who used to live there. And I think all the great interiors of the world have been interiors which reflected the personalities of, the, of their owners. Um, I think it's very easy to have money and to pay for someone to do things for you in your house. It's not easy to create your own world. And uh, that requires a lot of things, amongst them patience. And I think a sort of wide eye to see things in a different way. So that is what I try to portray. I try to portray the personality of someone through the rooms in which he or she inhabits. And as an adopted Greek myself, I'd really like to ask you up front about your relationship with Greece. So you travel a lot for your work, but you've clearly got a, a very deep and long lasting relationship with this country. So how does an Argentinian become so devoted to a place this far from his roots? I wondered if you could just say how it all began and how it developed. Yeah, well, um, I sort of grew up with two Hellenophiles. Both my parents loved Greece and visited as often as they could. And uh, sort of, um, in a way, sort of allow me into their sort of love of this country. And uh, as soon as I was a sort of uh, grown up enough to travel on my own, the first country I visited on my own, was Greece. Uh, it, I was coming from the Southern Hemisphere, so you only have um, holiday, long holidays in the Southern Hemisphere during the European summer, uh, European winter. So uh, my first visit to Greece was actually in the middle of the winter, which is in a way sort of completely what I do now. But even then I could sort of see that it was a place that sort of appealed to me because there's a lot of humanity amongst the Greeks and I felt that immediately. So um, it's been like that since then and uh, every time that I've been there and I, I've been there by now countless of times, I, I sort of cannot help but fall in love with the place because of 
its incredible beauty and the history that it sort of contains, but also because the people are so incredibly warm and welcoming. So I'm, I feel very at home there. So it was your parents who started you off as a traveller, because I get the impression that you have a real lightness of being, that you're adaptable, you can move around. <laughs> I bet you travel very light without much baggage. Well, yeah, I, yeah, they, they, they were sort of, they, in a way, they, what I think, what they did is, I, I don't know if they wanted me to be a traveler, but what they certainly wanted me to be was someone who knew that there was something beyond our natural borders and that there was something beyond Argentina. Argentina is, is a wonderful country, but it's at the end of the world. So it's very easy to just stay in that sort of world and not explore as much. And I think my parents wanted me to see that there was something beyond the borders all the time. And they pushed me to get out and to see other things. Yeah. And so I suppose in this book, you're doing something quite complicated because you're capturing the essence or the spirit of a house or a, a specific place but also a country. And I wonder, were you looking for a common factor or were you more just um, finding a whole lot of very beautiful houses? Well, it was sort of, for me, a bit slightly tricky because there are very beautiful houses uh, in Greece. And it would have been very easy to just concentrate on the very, very beautiful houses. But I thought it would be a disservice, especially to the Greeks, to show uh, a country um, on the just one sort of one face country, if you know what I mean, the country that foreigners tend to see when they go there on holiday. So what I wanted to show was a country that sort of lives from the 1st of January to January till the, till the sort of 31st of December. So the whole year. So what you can see and do and be during the whole year, not just the summer months. And I wanted to try to show that sort of, that Greece that very few people get to see, because I mean, we all see the beaches and we all see that the Parthenon and, and you know, sort of the classical monuments, but there's a whole lot of Greece that happened after the Parthenon and after sort of Delphi and, and and that we don't get to see. And this is what I tried to show as much as I could. I think um, you do it so well. And I love the way you use the different colors of Greece, because I think while you, there's enough of the archetypal blue and white for anybody who's yearning for those sort of things, but you show that the palette of Greek colors is actually much, much wider and there's some bright greens and pinks and the thing that's remained with me is terracotta red which I think yeah. you just bring out so well I think one of my favorite pictures is those rust red sails on the loveliest old wooden boat that color against the blue sea but you bring out that color in other places I think is it a house in Thessaly which has a lot of wall paintings and the roof tiles and I think Absolutely. it reminds me a bit of Knossos and 
a sort of colour scheme that most people don't necessarily think of as oh, Greek, Greek, but is absolutely yeah. Greek. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, that's the one what has been one of the biggest pleasures of doing the book was to go beyond the blue and white and to go beyond this sort of staying on an island and to sort of explore a little bit more of what Greece is, which is Greece is a lot of things. Um, and there, there's a lot of diversity in the culture and in the country. And that is what I have tried to sort of show in the pages. Um, it's a huge country. Uh, it's a very rich, uh, culturally rich country. And obviously you cannot show everything, but at least we began. And hopefully some, one day somebody else will do some, a bit more about it. Huh? Um, so yeah, so it's, 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 it's been really a, a not only a pleasure to do it, but also because I like the country so much, I love the country so much, it's been a labor of love because I believe that I had this sort of duty to sort of, in a way, try to show the best I could find of the country. Yeah. And one of the things that you write in this book, because you've not only taken the photographs, you've actually written the texts yeah. as well, which I think you've done really well and and given mm -hmm. such a good balance but you write um that you have a guiding question of what would min have done and i think you're referring to to min hogg the founding editor of interiors magazine but you say that she knew how to mix the grand the humble the new and the old and i wondered if you could say a bit about whether that mix is completely inherent to your concept of the oat bohemian. I mean, would you avoid something only grand and old or humble and new? <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, I, I think that in my concept of who an oat bohemian is, there isn't the grand or the humble or the old or the new. What an odd bohemian, in my view, in my eyes, is someone who lives very authentically. So that means that it's a person who surrounds herself or himself by things that they really love and they really cherish. And when you surround yourself by things like that, you end up surrounding yourself by different things that may be very diverse. Some of them may be very grand. Some of they may be very humble. Sometimes you surround yourself by silence and not necessarily objects, or sometimes by just colors and, and nothing else. So the old Bohemian is a sort of, is a, is a personality that fluctuates and it encompasses many tastes and, and many cultures. And, and I think I learned that by looking at, at the wall of interiors when Men was the editor-in-chief. She knew how to mix stories about different houses with a sort of masterful guide, uh, I, and, 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 and she, I think she taught so many of us um, about the diversity of interiors and about the value of rooms, whether they were richly decorated or whether they were just simple but truthful. Um, 
So in that sense, yeah, I thought a lot about men while I was putting the book because I thought, how do I put a book that is interesting in, in every page? And how do, can I surprise people from one story to the other? And, and that's how I tried, how, that's why I kept on thinking of her and I kept on thinking of some of her iconic sort of issues um, of the world of interiors. And, and uh, it, she's been sort of a sort of a guiding star from wherever she is. <laughs> and it's that, um, the, that sort of that sense of preserving the spirit of the place it's something that I actually first thought about it when Jasper brought it up. Because um, when we were talking about her house, he talked about the sala, the main sort of room in the house, which uh, her house is sort of very, it's almost like a labyrinth of gardens and rooms in different sort of levels. So you have to go up and down and and to the side and down steps and through a garden to get to another room. It, it's really wonderful. It's sort of this magic little world. And in the middle of it all, there is the sala, is the main sort of building where this. And, and, and Jasper was telling me about what he did with the house and, you know, what he changed and what he added and about the, the sort of trees that he has had that have been there for almost 800 years. And he said, and, and with the sala, the main room, I tried to keep it the way it was because I thought that, that the sala is the spirit of the house and I have to respect it. I have to, in a way, I have to make the spirit happy so that sala can continue to hold the rest of the house and to keep the rest of the house happy. This is something that I'm South American. I sort of come from uh, countries that have invented magical realism in literature. So it's, this is something that I totally understand and I totally agree with. So the minute he said it, um, I completely understood. Uh, and, and it made me realize that probably magical realism is not necessarily only Latin American, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, sort, of, <laughs> it's sort of shared by many cultures. Uh, it's a human sort of condition. Definitely. Um, yeah, so I think in, in his case, I think uh, Jasper has of course added his, his things to the place, but has, has tried to leave the spirit of it intact. Um, and and so it's quite moving when when he talks about that room, yeah. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by the intimacy of going into people's houses because these are not exhibition spaces or museums. You go into their bedrooms and their kitchens, and you're going right into private interiors, and this is symbolic as well as as literal. And I wonder how much you have to be careful. Do you have to gain people's trust? Are people friends or do they maybe become friends in the process? Because you're treading, you're stepping a delicate dance in needing to reveal, but also be respectful. Yeah, it's 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 a sort of a sort of a very sort of um, unique dance that you sort of learn as you do what I do. Um, and in many cases, you go to places that you um, that are owned by people you know, 
So there's a relationship already either with the owners or even with the place that you're photographing. And in certain cases, in lots of cases, you step into a house which you have never been to and you don't know the owners. And I myself um, think that, um, listen, my photographs will probably live longer than I do. Um, and I am not, uh, and I, I'm not going into a room to judge the room, but to record it. And I think if I've been trusted by an owner to be allowed in, I should return that trust by trying to show each room in the best way I can. Um, I'm not trying to um, analyze the room or the, the person who lives in it. I just want to show it in its best condition. It does um, feel like that looking at the photographs. It feels as if they're done, if not with love, then certainly with affection and respect. Absolutely. And that that feels as if it's your approach. Are, are there any other houses that you particularly loved that you would like to mention? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've been, I think every single house in the end, um, I think it's a little bit like when you... I'm not a portrait photographer and I'm not a portrait photographer because I'm quite shy. And so the relationship that you have to establish with the subject when you photograph a person is very intimate, even if it lasts two minutes. But I think I develop something like that with the rooms uh, that I photograph. And in a way, I sort of try to fall in love with them because I know that if I fall in love with them, then I will be able to portray them in their best light. I mean, and 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 so in a way, especially when I do a book, every single house that is in the house in the book, I end up falling in love with, and um, I just want to show it in great light. And so, yeah, there are many houses. Um, I was very touched by some of them. For example, the this house that sort of came to me, I sort of almost by 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 chance, uh, by some friends talking to me about this house in Egina, which I didn't have a clue about it, and it was um, the house a house built in the nineteenth century um, by a shepherd who had no training in anything, no, no architectural training, no painting, uh, nothing, no, art, uh, no training in the arts. And he built himself this beautiful thing that seems something sort of that has, left, has been left behind from sort of un, some unknown culture by some unknown culture and rebuilt in centuries ago. Um, so yeah. this house in Egina was, built by Alexandros Rodakis, this sort of 19th century farmer shepherd uh, with no training, no architectural training, with no artistic sort of training. He just built it the way he wanted built and he built this sort of semi-small masterpiece with sculptures that now we think of Picasso when we look at his sculptures. But at the time that he made the sculptures, Picasso is, did not exist. 
he painted walls with colors that remind you of nozzles, but at the time that he painted those walls, um, the nozzles had not yet been rediscovered. So it's sort of it's sort of something almost magical that happened on that island. And so I'm quite attached to that story because it, for me, it was a surprise and it was sort of quite touching to learn about this man. So there are lots of, uh, every single of the houses in the book in a way have a certain, I sort of fallen in love with them by one way or another. Um, yes, they all have a story, don't they? And yeah. I'm interested in you saying that you fall in love with them because a lot of the houses belong to Greeks, but there are also lots who belong to outsiders who have come to Greece and mm -hmm. loved Greece enough. And it's it's quite a sort of old chestnut, really, that people come to Greece and fall in love with it, um, almost as if it's against their will or as if it's <laughs> against rationality. But I wonder if you, um, I mean, like me, we're both outsiders who love Greece. I live here. But if you take away the good weather, which after all exists all over the world, can you pinpoint what it is? Why do so many people fall in love with Greece? Well, I think it's the people. Um, mm. Because in a way, the people make you feel at home right away. They don't fuss over you. They just let you live. And you have more experience on that because you actually live in Greece. But in my experience, it's like they're not fussing over you. They're not they're not telling you all the time, oh, you are in our country and isn't our country great or what else would you like? They just let you live. And, and so you ease into that life. And when you ease into that life, that means, especially in the summer, you ease into that easy way of Greek summer with the delicious food, the amazing water, uh, and the sort of the sort of late nights, you know, and you're in tavernas and all that sort of thing. So you just can't help but you know, sort of get completely taken by it. And to that, there is the romance that has been built around Greece because of its history and because of the characters that have visited it. Uh, I think lots of us go to Greece, not only to see the monuments, but also to somehow try to catch a little bit of the spirit of some of the sort of writers who fell in love with it, the sort of the foreign writers who fell in love. I, I certainly, you know, sort of part of my love of Greece is because I have uh, points also came across, I don't know, Robert Byron, for example, or, or the most ubiquitous, ubiquitous one, um, Patrick Lee Fermer, if you know what I mean. So there's all that that comes together. And, and, and as I said, with sort of, beautiful days in the water and long nights in the tavern and, and there's nothing that can really beat that. If you know <laughs> <what I> mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. wondering if I could, you, you said about the Lee Fermer house, which you photograph very beautifully in Cardamili and there's that incredible photograph on the back where the patterns of the light coming through the trellis um, mm -hmm. make, make this extraordinary kind of crisscross pattern. But 
I wondered if I could ask you just a little bit about the actual photography, because some people say it's all about lighting. And I can imagine that sometimes the abundance of light in Greece can be a bit of a problem with it leaching out all the colour. Oh, I mean, <laughs> you've got some sunset pictures where everything goes suddenly rosy gold or lilac, pink or whatever. But what's your opinion on that? Well, I think you're completely correct about the light. Um, uh, and it, funnily enough, the first time I went to photograph a house in Greece a few years ago, and this is before I even dreamed of doing a book on Greece, I went to photograph um, um, John Stephanidis in Patmos. And, um, so, and John said the day before we started shooting, come early and then get ready and go and have a siesta. And I just couldn't really understand it until we finally started shooting. And it's true, after 10 o'clock in the morning, you can't really do that much. And you better go and have a siesta until about 4, 4.30, and then you start again. It's very funny that you go to Greece for the light, and but when you go to Greece to photograph, you actually, in a way, end up running away from the light. <laughs> <laughs> because the light does make a room. I mean, I think to me, lighting is the most important thing in a room. Um, and and But light can also kill the room. And if there's too much light, all the atmosphere and the soul of the place goes away. So yes, in this book, I obviously had to apply what I learned from John and 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 yeah we were working very early in the morning and then around 10 11 sort of stop or find a room that had no natural light and try to work there and then eventually again towards the end of the afternoon you start working again the, the light is amazing in in greece but it's very overpowering as well so you have to really learn to sort of dance around it uh so, uh, so and I, hmm? I think we need to finish off quite soon now because we okay. only have a few minutes left. But I wondered if to finish off, you could give a few tips to aspiring photographers. I mean, I, I would love to, to know a handy tip or two. But with your portraits of houses, you often include details or sometimes interesting angles like you'll look from above or something so to to an aspiring photographer how do you capture the essence of a place in a very few pictures as you've done in this book so to me one of the things that I would say to anybody very young wanting to become a photographer is to start looking at old masters paintings of old masters, because I think this is how I have learned to compose um, things. Um, I, I, I love the way certain interiors have been portrayed in paintings and or cityscapes. And so I would say that you start by that. And then once you're actually photographing and you are in, in a place which you are going, are going to record, then what you have to do is try to look for the personality of the person of whoever owns there, who owns the place. And that personality to me is often reflected in the small objects that are sort of tucked away in a corner that nobody notices. So look for that, look for those little 
telling signs that tell you who the person is and what that person is all about. And I think, because I think those details are the things that make a room become human. Well, I would recommend everyone to buy a copy of this sumptuous book. I think it's the perfect present for someone who loves Greece or who is interested in taking a look inside some of its unusual and most beautiful houses and gardens. So thank you so much, Miguel. It's been wonderful to talk with you. Thank you, Sofka. And I, hopefully we'll see each other soon in a taverna in Athens. That would be wonderful. Thank you.